Blog Talk Radio. Cattle Radio. Jake Counts along with me is TJ Smith bringing you your one hour of reality. Once again, we don't have any slant, no left, right. Actually, we do have a slant and it's the the slant for truth. So just to let you guys know, we've been kicking around the idea of doing a a weeknight show and I think we've boiled it down to doing a a 30-minute segment on Wednesday nights. We were going to Look to the listening audience, which is growing every week. Thank you for spreading the word about the broadcast, spreading the word about truth and liberty and freedom. That's what we're here to discuss. And we're also here to take the stance that we want to get the truth out and no rhetoric and make sure that people have the information that they need in order to make informed decisions because, once again, an uninformed population will just put us deeper and deeper into this hole that we've already climbed into. So we're going to do a Wednesday night show, 9 o'clock, 30 minutes, and what we're going to – what we've kind of decided on is that we're going to do um, 30 minutes of truth, but we're going to take it to the extreme where where we're going to cover a lot of these um, urban legends slash – I hate to use the word conspiracy theories, but um, just – just some things that are out there that aren't really true that we need to get out in the open that people keep running around and repeating as rhetoric that really does – it puts the population at a disadvantage. So that's what we're going to cover on the show. TJ, thanks for jumping on board with me this morning. Uh, how was the week? Everything good so far? Everything pretty much good. All right. So um, Paul Ryan's the VP nominee. Any any thoughts? Um. Probably one of the worst guys you could actually choose as a vice president. Oh well, you know, two empty suits now. So yeah. <laughs> we got we got Mitt Romney, the empty suit up there, won't give up his tax returns or whatever. So and then of course we always have the infighting where we're gonna make the um we're not gonna make the election about issues, real issues, real solutions. We're gonna make it about rhetoric. And I think that I do subscribe to the Gerald Salente theory, where I think that it is now becoming a presidential reality show, with um, with little quips and and cuts, <laughs> and you know, and all it is is basically all you know, audio cuts and clips, and then attacks and and reattacks. So just getting stupid. I mean, for the most part, we're we're not discussing any issues, and that's why the that's why the system hates Ron Paul and people like that, and Dennis Kucinich that get in there and. Talk about real issues, and then the system freaks out. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. We need to talk about the birth certificate, or we need to talk about – you know, that's one of the things that I – TJ, you and I talked about before, the birth certificate thing. Even if his birth certificate is fake, and this isn't even in our notes, I mean what really do you do? You do, you can't really impeach the guy. I mean and I know that it's, a, oh, well, he's not qualified to be the president. So, I mean, what do you do at that point if if the birth certificate is fake? And then once again, we got to make the argument about things that 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 we can't change because that then stirs up debate and keeps us away from the real issues. What do you think about the birth certificate thing? Is it really a valid point? Obviously, it's a valid point if it's fake. But what do you do? Well, I mean, by this time, actually, it's pretty kind of un. I mean, irrelevant. I mean, because here, this guy has already been president for four years. If they was really wanting to, I mean, because I know that they really started pushing this certificate last year, but if you really wanted to push this, you would have pushed it before he was even elected. I know some people was. Mm-hmm. A lot of people really wasn't. Mm-hmm. So even if we found out, okay, tomorrow that, oh, Obama is not a legal American. He wasn't born inside the U.S. 
Well, okay, the guy has already served four years. The damage has already been done. It doesn't. I mean, it, it, like it, it's pretty much too late. I just say, just you know, I would just let him just finish serving the next four years. Well, I mean, and, and here, here's what happens is that you know he's got what three months left before his term is going to be up for mm-hmm. you know renewal, re-election, whatever. So. The birthers guys, you know, and I'm one of them that I believe that there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of fishiness going on with that long form that took so long to come out. And then, but but then again, that's that's politics that's playing to the media. So as TJ said, the only thing that, that would come from it is that if he's not a legal resident, then every every law or every mandate, NDAA, all of that stuff would go away. But let's face it, you know, we're running up against – we're running up against a um what would you what would you say TJ it would be a a consortium that the establishment is kind of moving in one direction and it doesn't really matter which empty suit is going to be in there it's just who's going to sell it the best would you say that that's probably a fair assessment to to look at the way that the entire governmental structure is moving with the with the um with the hyping of big government and how big government's here to take care of us Meanwhile, you see what happens when you have big government tied into big banks in Greece. You get austerity measures. You get a complete decline of the economy. I mean, what do you see from this overall agenda? Do you think that it's do you think that it's limited to Barack Obama, or does it go deeper than that and go like directly into the power structure? I mean, you know, anytime when anytime when we talk about the shadow government, I know a lot of people really don't talk about the shadow government, but that's what it's really called. And there's, like I said, and like I have explained before on previous shows, that the shadow government is actually made up of two different types. You actually have the continuity of government, mm-hmm. and then you have the illegal shadow government, the people who actually exist behind the closed doors that you really never get to see who actually are pulling these hidden strings. Yeah, and, like the Bilder, the Bilderberg Group, you yeah. know, the Council on Foreign Relations, those kinds of people that have unbelievable political pull. And the CFR came out the other day talking about how al-Qaeda was great and how they were doing such a great job for the United States. So continue down that line that you were going down. I know exactly where you're going. So enlighten the people that, that don't have heard, haven't heard about a shadow government or don't understand that, that the president has a little bit of power, but his real power is to trot off to war. And, and as far as you know, making you know, executive orders and stuff like that, those can always be repealed. So, so get, into, get into the handlers, get into the controllers of the, of the overall agenda, moving us towards Agenda 21, which we should definitely do a 30-minute show on that to break down that 350-page document that we, um, that we looked over last night. So go into the shadow government just a little bit more, and then we'll kick off the show with, uh, with our news items for the week. Yeah, the um, the last real president we had was actually John F. Kennedy, and even though that the Kennedy his family is actually a part of that thirteen bloodline of the mm-hmm. Illuminati, he actually decided to pretty much to not go. He decided to not be with them anymore, mm-hmm. and so that's when you saw John F. Kennedy started, you know, supporting uh, like Martin Luther King Jr. That's when he actually. Um, decided to pull troops out. That's when he decided to get rid of the Federal Reserve. And of course, before all this was actually be able to be done, he got assassinated. Mm-hmm. So going down into it, um, you actually start seeing these other organizations start popping up, like the Council of Foreign Relations, which was started by one of the members was um, Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. You start seeing the Trilateral Commission, mm-hmm. um, uh, of course, with the Federal Reserve itself. Um, you start seeing the Committee of 300, the Club of Rome, the Bilderberg Group. All these are different groups that contains um, people who are lobbyists, people mm-hmm. who actually have a lot of money who can persuade power. Mm-hmm. Okay, Those are the two things. I mean, if you really know what an iron triangle is, you know, those are you have your politicians, you have your lobbyists. Mm-hmm. Then of course you have your money players. Right. These three people they influence each other and they keep it moving. So the decisions in Washington D.C. are actually made to benefit them and to hurt us. Yep, and you know um, Rothkop wrote a book called Superclass, which I've been reading, and it and one of the things he harps on in Superclass, and this is what this is what in order to understand what we're facing with 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 elitists and and elitists have always exist whether it's in royalty monarchs or what have you 
But what you face with um what you face with elitists is that they have they'll have a group and it's and he describes it as about six thousand people all together, handlers included and all that stuff. That um that typically will make world decisions, global decisions, and you know, even um even Donald Trump came out a year or so ago and you guys can look this up, that he said that you know, only twelve people in the world pretty much set the price of oil, which is very, very true. So you have these little factions that are that are elitist groups, and inside of the elitist groups, they they don't have any real. I, I don't know if I subscribe to the Alex Jones theory where they say that they they have disdain for the public, but they certainly don't take you into consideration when they make their business decisions because their business decisions at the end of the day, the only thing that they affect is their inner circle. So once again, they remove themselves from. They remove themselves from the population. They remove any ties from the population because they're all in this little clique. It's basically like high school on steroids because the only thing that those guys are doing is trying to make business deals with one another, business deals with governments, and um, you know, just go read the book. Um, oh my gosh, TJ, I just I just lost a blank or just came up with a blank, but um, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, where he talks about how he would go into to government regimes and. And and offer them huge loans, knowing that the governments weren't going to pay them back. But as leverage, they would say, "We're either going to take your raw materials, or we need you to vote with us on this UN resolution." So that's where the real power structure is. It's not with it's not with the phony suit that they parade out in front of a teleprompter and say that this is the president of the United States. It actually goes on way above him and and beyond the walls of the White House. Now, granted, they're included in the little club that they have, understanding the overall agenda. But um, once again, the president, in in the theory of checks and balances, doesn't have a ton of power. He can obviously create executive orders, but um, his main thing is that he can trot us off to war. So, closing that out, let's um let's move forward, TJ, into some of the articles that we wanted to get into today. The first one that I wanted to cover was this article that came out um, about I think it was about three or four days ago. It was the in- Indianapolis Business Journal. And what it is is basically in it in the headline reads livestock farmers still seeking pause in ethanol production. So I don't know how many are aware of this, but um there is a, a massive drought going on here in the United States and it's starting to trickle down into our food supply. And what this article basically states is that they're the farmers are trying to get ethanol production, which ethanol is made out of corn, they're trying to get it curved so that they can start produce and so they can Start yielding more corn for people to eat, rather than um, you know, rather than go ahead and dump it into ethanol production. So here's just an excerpt from the article. You guys should read this because this is you know when we talk about what's going on in the society, we need to address these kinds of things because these are the things that are going to keep us safe. You know, not not the TSA. The things that are going to keep us safe is having independent food supplies, independent renewable resources, those types of things. So here's Here's just an excerpt. It's um, Spark, who was the ex-president of the National Pork Producers, said the livestock producers will have to reduce their herds and flocks because the feed is becoming scarce and too and, ex- and too expensive. So, you know, it's not just ethanol, guys. This all trickles down into the food supply. Whether it's, you know, the the corn gets fed to, you know, the livestock, which get you know gone taken to the slaughterhouse, and and that's what actually provides us our food. So these are these are the issues that we need to talk about. We don't need to talk about the fake right left and we don't need to talk about the you didn't build that crap. We need to talk about stuff like this and we need to support these people and get out there and educate the public as far as what's going on and what the real what the real issues are. And this is a real issue. So once again, I'm going to hyperlink everything to the website this afternoon. Give me until about 12 o'clock today. You can go to wearenotcattle.net. And click on the the main link, and it'll take you to the hyperlinks for the show today, so you guys can read these articles. Once again, when when I came up with this format, I wanted to not only deliver the information to the public that they need to know, but I wanted to make it um, easy for them to access. So it's just a hyperlink away. You'll be able to read the article for yourself. But this is the kind of stuff that that we're really facing, and we need to talk about this, and we need to talk about it in a clear, succinct manner. So another thing that we're facing is that when you have – and TJ, you and I talked about this last night, and then I'm going to let you handle the next two items because they're really tied together hand in hand. Anytime that you have – if you look throughout history, 
when you have economic instability, typically you'll get not only not only government stepping in and trying to to snatch and grab power because it's when the population is very vulnerable, they're typically more lenient on how much uh, authority the government's going to have because either they're going to keep you safe or they're going to keep you fed or something like that. So you will typically get a a very top heavy government, which is what we're we're seeing now. And the reason the United States was so successful early on was was with the Constitution, we were able to balance the power of the federal government and the state government. And over the past years, the federal government has become increasingly intrusive uh, on the states on the state governments and letting them make their own laws and enforcing their own laws. So now we have big government, and what does big government typically do? Big government swells up, and you get a, a, a large majority of the population under the government dole, and then they have to sustain all those different people, so they have to keep expanding and keep expanding. So now we're into, we're into the 1984 age where, where everybody's getting spied upon, but not only are you getting spied upon by the government, they're, they're turning it into a, a huge combine of an industry within an industry. So not only do you have government buying spy equipment and, and spying on the American public, but you have independent contractors and independent agencies making tons of money by selling this stuff to the government, using your tax money in certain situations to actually have the government come in and, and literally spy on you and then collect all the data in, in a huge NSA database, which is being built in Utah, which the NSA won't tell Congress after Congress explicitly asks what's it for. The NSA says, it's top secret. We can't tell you. So, TJ, why don't you roll into the first two articles that you've got? And um, and then we'll we'll piggyback onto what what this really means, and then we'll get into some of the some of the outlandish things that the the government agencies are doing in order to um, in order to generate revenue. Yeah, the Department of Homeland Security, which was created after the September 11, 2001 attack, to of course protect the United States from to keep us um, safe from Al Qaeda, who we now group with <laughs> in Syria. It's complete 1984, but we'll get into that in a minute. So go ahead. Yeah, the same uh, the same Homeland Security who was recently uh, seen purchasing 450 million rounds of ammunition, um, enough, of course, to last some six years of an Iraq-level combat. Remember now, they are Homeland Security. They don't fight wars overseas. So why would you need 450 miles of pounds of ammunition? But... Uh, now, uh, we are now seeing that they actually have armored vehicles. Um, an armored vehicle was actually seen inside Kentucky completely, I mean, like on a flatbed of a truck, that they are now ordering these armored trucks. Uh, like These are the type of trucks that you actually see if you ever watch some of the movies and there's civil unrest inside the movie and they have like the government with these armored trucks and people throwing stuff at it. That's the type of truck it is. Yeah, it's it's like the truck that you see the UN using when they go into a militarized zone in order to get people to extract people. I mean, it's just hardcore stuff. And TJ, the point of the article that I'm sure you're about to touch on is that it doesn't say anything about immigration services or anything like that. What is it what does the side of the truck say? Because you've seen these trucks before and they're like, oh that's for border patrol. Oh that's for ICE. That's for you know that's for you know getting rid of the illegal immigrants. What is it what does it really say on the side of the truck that makes it so interesting when you when you look at you know this thing getting delivered? Well you know it, it says was that something special rep special response team special response team now if that's not the vaguest thing I've ever <laughs> heard in my life so you know piggybacking on top of the of the armor vehicles we did have a report come out um, due to the Stratford emails talking about how there's a widespread you know surveillance on the American public so Get into that really quick, and then we'll talk about what this is really meaning. And then, you know, piggybacking on top of that, we'll talk about Mrs. Janet Napolitano and her hires that she's been making, which are raising some red flags and even causing some lawsuits now. Well, according to the Stratfire emails, um, it basically reveals that the trap wire surveillance system actually um, does more spying than one thinks. Um, of course, um, that. Well, of course, that um, 
we was the information that we actually knew before was okay, yeah, that they actually spy, but um, the trap wire branch of Abaraxis in in Northern Virginia actually um, is connected with you know the Pentagon, the CIA, and another government and and then other government entities and. What it's showing that I mean it, it doesn't we don't actually know a lot about what it does, but we do know that it actually goes deeper and spying on you than it is actually documented. But of course this is not nothing really new because uh, once again I touched on Project Echelon that they actually have. <laughs> I mean it's nothing it's all just a part of the same grid. But So go in go into Project Echelon just so that people can understand and we'll do a whole breakdown of, of the of the um of the global spy grid, but talk about how slick politicians and slick attorneys have made it so that that you can you can spy on somebody else but then trade the information with remember because the the American public can't be you can't be spied on. Well, theoretically you can't be spied on. We're all spied on now, but internal agencies can't spy on the public. The FBI can't operate domestically. The CIA can't operate domestically. So the way that they circumvent that TJ is that we'll go spy on somebody else and they'll spy on us and then we'll just switch the data, right? Yeah, that's pretty much how it works. I mean, Project Echelon is one of your main top secret. Um, uh, well, it's not – well, of course, I mean the majority of it is actually top secret, but we actually know about it. Um, you can actually find that document at Project Echelon. Uh, it's inside several countries from Australia to the United States to um, Britain and and even in even in Israel. And like Jake was saying, that according to, you know, the laws of the United States and other laws of other countries, that the country itself cannot spy on the citizens, which is illegal. But what they do is with Project Echelon using advanced satellites and um, supercomputers that pretty much read every form of communication that is sent via anything that is electronic, um, it picks it up and then it scans it and then it actually logs it. And then it can actually do us the voice recognition and mm. so forth. But what they do is, so if the United States wanted information on their own people, mm. Australia would actually spy on the whole entire North American continent while the United States might spy on the Australia continent. And then they actually swap information to each other, which mm. means that they basically found a loophole of how to spy on their own citizens. Yeah, and once again, it's like um, it's like we talk about on the show all the time that the tyrants have figured out that they can't come and take you at the point of a gun anymore. That the American population is conditioned for stuff like that. Not only the American population, but everybody understands a threat. When you see the gun pointed at you, you understand that there's a threat. <clears throat> so now what's being what's being done is that countries are being financially conquered, and they're being financially conquered by you know slick talking slick talking lobbyists and it's almost like its own little iron triangle t j you got a slick talking lobbyist you've got um a, a really good attorney, and then you've got a banker that funds it all so that's the iron triangle that we're facing and it's it's really sickening to see what's been going on, and it's just because the public has been switched off and mis misguided. And and also there's a there's a thing that I want to get into a little bit later that that TJ and I talked about the other day, and, and what's really allowing this to go on, and that's the um, the perception that the public has. But we'll get into that here in a second. So I'm going to talk briefly about um, I'm going to skip the Janet Napolitano thing. She just disgusts me. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> so the um. The the thing that I wanted to get into is the man sentenced for 30 days in jail for collecting rainwater. Now this is you guys heard me right. This this gentleman in um, I think it was uh, Jackson County, Oregon, was convicted and sentenced to 30 days in jail and has to pay a $1,500 fine for being a criminal and correct collecting rainwater on his own property. It's called rainwater or snow runoff. Now. The managers, the the state water managers, called it three illegal reservoirs on his property. Remember, TJ, us as slaves, we can't collect anything that's going to get us out of the system. You got to be subservient to the system. You got to buy into it completely, and you have to operate within it. And it states that he was breaking a 1925 law, which you know talks about him having the illegal reservoirs on his property. So, not only in America is it is it criminal 
to collect rainwater on your own property, which is – I don't understand how the government owns this, but these are some of the things that we need to talk about and get them out in the open because, shoot, if I was collecting rainwater and I got arrested, I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't know that it's illegal. It's probably not illegal here in Georgia, but for some for some reason back in 1925, they had a law for that, and it was probably from prevention of, of getting people sick and you know people having reservoirs that were distributing water that was you know toxic or had you know I don't know had viruses in it or whatever. So it was probably a way to standardize you know the drinking water. But this is this is just outlandish, and these are some of the things that we need to tackle as people that that love liberty and love freedom. My gosh, if I can't collect rainwater at my own house, how free am I in this country? What is going on with this place? And once again, it's just a bunch of bureaucracy and it's a bunch of people going out there revenue generating. And I know that it was a law or what have you, but I mean, come on. we got to use some common sense here moving forward. We're facing a possible financial collapse, which TJ, you're going to cover that article here in a minute. About how the government goes to the four big mega banks and says, "Hey, hey, hey! All right, we're going to have to have some policies in place to stave off a big financial collapse." And they even say that in the article. So it, it really does become crazy once you get into where we're at situationally as a society. So transitioning into the topic for the show today, we wanted to talk about the global economy and. And what's going on, and then I am going to get into at the tail end of it and bring TJ in on his analysis for this too about how a society of people that believe that it's not my fault and I don't have to ask my bossers has turned into letting letting everybody run roughshod because nobody wants to make any decision. Nobody wants to take any responsibility for their actions. So then it's always got to roll up to the highest level, but as we see, once it gets up to the highest level, not many times out of 100, probably two or three times out of 100, it's it's a big criminal operation like, like what you see with the um, with the Goldman Sachs, with the you know with the Wachovia Wells Fargo stuff, and we've all got those documented. So let's transition into this, and I do want to get into a clip from Max Kaiser, who um, I don't know. If you guys aren't familiar with him, I would highly recommend watching some of his videos on YouTube. He was the inventor of the Hollywood Stock Exchange, which is the the digital trading system that's used now. He um, he understood that what was going on here in the United States was unsustainable with all the derivatives and whatnot. So he fled the country, went over to went over to Paris, and now he does investigative reporting, journalism, and and does. Um, and does financial breakdowns for uh, RT, which is Russia Today, which is a offshoot of American television that's based in Washington, D.C., but for some reason they call it Russia Today, and I never really looked into that. But here's the clip, and then on the backside, TJ, you and I can break down you know, the, uh, the austerity. I want you to cover the, uh, the Banks to Prevent Collapse article that was by Reuters, and then we'll get into the Ron Paul clip where he talks about how bad it was. For to repeal Glass-Steagall, which combined commercial and investment banks, typically before before that was removed in Bill Clinton's day, the commercial and investment banks were two separate entities, so they basically couldn't take your mortgage and go out there and leverage it out a billion times, which now they can, which has put us in the spot that we're in today. So here's the clip from Max Kaiser. It's a little long, but um, very informative, so everybody pay attention, and then we'll have a conversation on the backside. I guess they're in London saying that instead of talking about refinancing, recapitalizing banks, for instance, we need some fundamental changes. What are those changes and will those changes be discussed? Well, I think the overall concern about the euro and the eurozone is misplaced. If you're looking at a real trouble spot in the global economy, the UK and Japan are really the most troubling countries in the world for reasons I can get into. The eurozone is really not in the bad shape that the policymakers tell us that it is in. They are basically extorting uh, us into accepting things like transferring, uh, transforming the European stability mechanism, the new financing fund, into a bank, which allows them to get 10 to 100 times leverage to recapitalize and refinance five to ten trillion euros in debt. Of course, that'll make a lot of bankers fabulously wealthy. 
the people who don't have any political power now will continue not having any political power. But uh, I don't see the euro breaking up, really, because they have a lot of uh, path to go in terms of leveraging the European Union. The two countries that do look like they're going to explode and go the way of all flesh are the UK and Japan. Those are really the, the hot spots we'll be talking about in six months, not, but, not Europe. Right, so Max Kaiser, are you saying then that the European leaders, uh, rather than letting Greece leave the Eurozone, they would prefer to give it a revised second bailout worth at least 130 billion euros and that they can afford that? The goal of the Troika, that includes the IMF, the EU, and the ECB, who incidentally got Greece, the Greek government, to sign off on what's called the Memorandum, which passed sovereignty from Greece to the IMF. Remember, George Papadreos, the leader of Greece at that time, was going to have a referendum on that. And then the, the Troika, these three entities, told him that he was not going to have a referendum, so he did not put it in front of the people something that the president of Iceland did a couple of years ago, and the people voted down being occupied by foreign bankers, and as a result, that country is now thriving because they got rid of their banker infestation problem. But Greece, unfortunately, gave their sovereignty away to the Troika, so it's not up to Greece to leave the euro. They don't have that choice. It, they, they're not a sovereign state. They're being, the, the, the IMF is there every single day monitoring in, with hundreds of agents around the country. And the goal of the Troika is to acquire Greeks' assets, their income-producing assets, the ports, the lottery, the airports, the toll roads, to acquire these assets for next to nothing for the benefit of the patrons of the IMF. And this is going along great. It's working. It's working beautifully. But the, don't, don't think, of course, I agree with Simon Dixon. It would be great for Greece to leave the euro. Yes, of course, that would be fantastic. But they don't have that choice, and they're not going to, because it's not up to them. Max Heiser, we've heard a lot now about the European Central Bank taking steps to tackle this debt crisis. And those steps we're hearing are things like a liquidity program or... Uh, cuts, uh, rate cuts. Uh, first of all, do you think that this is going to help and that we are going to actually see the European Central Bank be able to do something about this? Because at the same time, we have a former president of the World Bank, Robert Zolik. He's saying that monetary easing is not going to help resolve the problem. Well, the European Central Bank is already doing something. They are swapping toxic assets from these banks all over Europe in exchange for fresh uh, you know, treasury paper, short-term treasury paper, they're expanding their balance sheet to accommodate a lot of toxic debts, and they are also engaging in artificially suppressing interest rates. And this is being done all over the world in programs like quantitative easing. This is to keep interest rates low, to keep the debt service on the junk that these central banks are taking on manageable, but it is causing a two-tier global economy where the added liquidity needed to take on this toxic debt is driving asset prices of the top one or two percent of wealth owners higher. So paintings, uh, rare paintings, yachts, I exotic islands, all of these prices are going up because of all the money that the central banks are using to keep interest rates low. But because interest rates are low, the savings return and wages are also low. So there's no fresh capital being earned. And you can't have capitalism without capital. So what you end up with is a, is a system that's post-capitalism. It's a system of command and control run by central bankers, by and for central bankers and their friends. Look, look at what happened to Ireland. Before the crisis, Ireland had very little public debt. Uh, after the crisis, the uh, government agreed to transfer 10 times the country's GDP and debt from Anglo-Irish Bank, one bank, onto the government's balance sheet, and then to pay that debt, the government imposed austerity. Now, if we were in the back alley of a ghetto somewhere, that would be called a lynch, a lynching, or a, or, or a uh, robbery. 
which is all that all this is all that we're talking about. Hmm. It's a gang rape. <laughs> Max Kaiser is so right on so many levels. It's it's almost it's almost comical because He's exactly right when he talks about the austerity measures that were imposed in Ireland. It's um, until they joined the EU, they were actually a very, very strong economy. They signed on to the EU, and oh wow, now you're part of all of our debt. So guess what? You guys are bankrupt, and you have to impose austerity. And then the citizens actually voted against it and said that we don't owe your phony derivatives garbage. We don't owe these little outside bets. So yeah, we just say no. And then look what happened. They they went back to to being a flourishing economy because they wrote off all the bad debt. So, in essence, that's what we have to do. But you have to have the population informed enough to understand that that hey, w fractional reserve banking has put us in a very very tight spot, and there's there's only a couple ways to recover from it. One of the ways to recover, which I, I definitely subscribe to, is is the reimplementation of Glass Steagall separating the commercial banks. From the from the investment or not from the yeah from the investment banks, so that they can't take your house and leverage it out 15 times and have these clouded mortgages where nobody really owns a deed it just kind of floats around. So, so TJ, um, what would you say after listening to Max Kaiser break it down and then get into the article that um, that talks about how the the big four banks which which criminally rob us every day and and then take our tax money. And hold on to it and don't reinvest it in the population and make their 3% interest and still go on their lavish trips and, and all that stuff. Talk about what, what you see from that perspective and then get into the article that um, that uh, was in Reuters last night that talks about how they're supposed to make preparations for economic collapse. But once again, we I don't understand where this little person comes in, but it's like the person gets in front of the television and says, hey, get ready for economic collapse, but don't worry, it's not coming. So go ahead. Um, you know, Lindsey Williams, who, if you don't know who Lindsey Williams is, is like one of the <clears throat> um, most, I would say, amazing people you could actually just listen to. Even though he takes a while to get to the point, he is, I mean, the knowledge he actually has, he actually talks to the global elite. He's a very powerful person. Um, he still says that the economic collapse is going to happen. Um, with I guess a time frame about two years, um, but of course if you actually don't hear about it. Like in 2010, the the U.S. government was already telling banks that you need to start making preparations to prevent a collapse. Mm -hmm. This is something that the new, like the major news um, segments inside America did not even talk about. No, because they can't talk about that because then that'll shift everybody's focus away from the Kardashians. And um, and Snooky and JWoww and all that other garbage that's meant there to distract everybody, and then they'll start going, wait, whoa, 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 what do you mean my money's going to go away? And then that'll snap the public out of their trance. But that's why you got to keep it kind of on the back burner and not let everybody know about it because if we get a bunch of chicken littles going out there saying the sky is falling, then people might actually start paying attention, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. All right. So so get into the article a little bit, and then um. And then we'll go into to what austerity looks like and and kind of give you guys a once over on what's been going on that that a lot of people haven't heard about unless you're one of those people that's my, myself or TJ that's just a news junkie and, and, and reads news any chance that he gets because they want to understand the, the what's going on in our society and what's going on globally. So get into the article real quick and then we'll we'll break it down on the backside. Well, I thought I said that um, Reuters actually published this article yesterday, but um, the two-year-old program is nothing new. It's just it's just really coming out now. Yeah. But that the U.S. Um, um, office of <laughs> the U.S. office of controller of the currency first directed five banks, which also included Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan Chase. Yeah, all the course, criminal organizations. The usuals, yep. yeah. <laughs> they told them to come up with these recovery plans in May 2010 to prevent an economic collapse. They told banks to consider drastic efforts to prevent failure in times of distress, including selling off businesses, finding other funding sources, if regular borrowing markets shut them, shut them out, and reducing risk. It says, you know, the plans must be feasible to execute within three to six months, and banks were to make no assumption of extraordinary support from the public sector. 
So, I mean, so you know. Even though they know that if they go too big to fail again, that the Fed's just going to sign us onto the debt with a quote-unquote banker bailout and then sign the population onto the debt. So, I mean, it's probably just a, it's probably just an empty threat like it's always been. It's like, hey, you you guys need to stop, you know, leveraging out these derivatives so much and you guys need to stop making 30 to 1 bets or we're just going to have to bail you out again, right? Mhm. <laughs> so crazy. So, I mean, if you look at what what's been going on since the deregulation, since the since the removal of Glass-Steagall, I'm going to get into the Ron Paul clip here, and then we're going to really go through and hammer some of these articles that came out that people need to know about. And once again, I'll put the hyperlinks on the site so you guys can have just a quick point of reference to go read these things for yourself. Because when I say it and when TJ says it, it sounds so ridiculous. But these are actual documented sources. I mean we're talking about you know credible news sources like The Guardian, people like that. The um, Associated Press that are coming out and telling you that these things are going on, but once again, the mainstream media doesn't pick it up, and the population so conditioned that the media is going to tell me everything that I need to know, that they don't get the whole story, so they're not really playing with a full deck, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. They're just – they're not given all the ammunition that they need in order to be – to be aware of what's going on or what possibly could happen. So here's the Ron Paul clip on Glass-Steagall, and then TJ and I will tackle a couple of other articles on the backside. There's two different levels to this part of the conversation. One is what we are talking about yesterday. According to Bloomberg, Bank of America had uh, one of its um, subsidiary units downgraded. It, it had uh, uh, its um, credit rating, in essence, uh, downgraded. And so it moved the derivatives from the Merrill Lynch unit uh, to a subsidiary that was uh, insured. So uh, the FDIC disagreed with the transfer, but the bank says it doesn't need their approval. And there was a University of Missouri, Kansas City uh, regulator said the concern is there's always going to be an enormous temptation to dump the losers onto the insured institution. Uh, there is no law that is governing, uh, governing this. So all of these derivatives, I think there was $53 trillion worth of this stuff, they try to dump into insured deposits. So if this all goes bad, uh, the taxpayers are at least partially on the hook. No, they'll, they'll, be, they'll really be on the hook. And, and already we've had a lot of those derivatives dumped on us in 08. You know, the, right. uh, some of these mortgage derivatives ended up being bought by the uh, Federal Reserve. We didn't even, didn't even have to get the Congress involved. I mean, the, the uh, Federal Reserve just did it to bail out some, uh, some of the banks and uh, the corporations that were involved. So, no, this is a transfer, and uh, this is why... Uh, you know, I voted against, you know, the repeal of Glass-Steagall, uh, not because I'm against banks in a free market. They can do different things and they can invest, but they should stand to lose if they lose. But when you have the lender of last resource and you have these guarantees and insurance backed up by the taxpayer, it just encourages this. And uh, a derivative is just a, a wild bet. And uh, they, there's nothing behind these bets. And they're backing up these bets and they're leveraged uh, with taxpayers' money. So I think that uh, this derivative thing will explode. And it'll be much, much worse than uh, what we went through in 2008. And the fact that they did this shifting just recently means that they might think we're getting awfully close to that date uh, when it will be unsustainable. All right, TJ. So you've got Ron Paul. you got Max Kaiser. You've got Gerald Salente. You've got um, Paul Craig Roberts. Um, Paul Craig Roberts, the father of Reaganomics, Gerald Salente, accurately predicted a lot of different trends through trends forecasting. And, you know, Ron Paul, obviously a renowned economist in his own right and understands the, the value of sound money. So all of these guys are just conspiracy theorists, TJ. All of these well-educated, you know, well, you know, well-polished guys that understand how the financial system works. These guys are all just conspiracy theorists. Nothing's going on. Go back to sleep. So what do you take away from that? What do you take away from the fact that that we're keep that that the mainstream media keeps this stuff from the public, doesn't want them to know how bad it can get? Meanwhile, you've got people like Ron Paul saying that hey, the collapse that we could be facing with the de derivatives crunch 
could be worse than what we saw in uh, in 2008, where everybody got really, really upset and people started losing their homes and their arms started escalating so that people were just basically getting foreclosed on. And then I'll talk about the foreclosures that have been going on recently, as well as what austerity looks like. So what are your, what are, what's your takeaway from that, TJ? The whole thing centers around derivatives. You know, if you don't know what derivatives are, then I mean, it, then you really need to do some serious research because the majority of like the money flowing around when it comes down to like business and forecasting things are actually put up inside derivatives. Mm-hmm. And if the derivatives actually crash or if they people stop selling, people stop buying them, then you got to serious problem. In fact, there's more derivatives out there than what U.S. debt and other debt combined. It's like 70, and this was back in 2009, I think that um, um, Zero Hedge reported that it was somewhere in the name range of like 70 times the the global GDP are what's out there in derivatives. So just do the, just do the math for yourself. If 170th of the derivatives fail, then you have total economic collapse. But hey, that's not going to happen, TJ, because we got the big banks there ready, you know, ready to help us because they have all these contingency plans, much like they had back in 2008, where they said there's going to be martial law on the street if you don't sign the taxpayers on to all this phony debt that we've already put out there and and already leveraged out 15, 20 times over. So it gets to be the point of ridiculous. But let's talk about what austerity looks like because this is a term that gets thrown around and then you'll see CNN, you'll see Fox News and they'll talk about ooh Greek austerity and and they never really get into the meat and potatoes of what austerity is because austerity is basically taking your country and setting it back about 20 or 30 years because your country is running out of funds, it's running out of currency, it's running on uh, unstable currency. You're running into a lot of things going bankrupt, cities, municipalities, um, things like that, companies going out of business really quickly. And then what happens is that you have the lower class, which is always on, is always on teetering, you know, paycheck to paycheck kind of deal. On whether they can even sustain life, and so once you put even more of a financial burden on these people, you run into what's going on around in Greece, and I'll read you the headline really quick, and then I'll get into um, just an excerpt from the article. It says, more abandoned children as Greece austerity wears on. So and this was a CNBC article that came out a couple of days ago, and I just want to read you an excerpt from the article. And it, it really talks about – it says, for the most for most monument of cases – that are they're from the lower and poor class. The middle class families have been affected by the crisis, but believe that they're going to be that they will be the victims in the coming two years. So you probably need the serious support for them to survive. So, in essence, they talk about the lower class will get affected first, and they start when they say that these people are basically dumping their kids off or they're having babies and then just walking out the door saying we can't support our babies. And so the the excerpt that I really wanted to get into was it says the many factors contribute to children being separated from their families. Research shows the primary factors, everyday conditions, poverty, unemployed parents, lower lack of income or low of material resources or po- and poor living conditions. So austerity isn't this thing that they just trot out. It's like a word. It's really impoverishing a nation and, and watching – these people digress from a civil society into a society that can't be sustained. And then it goes on the last excerpt I want to read. It says, we are really afraid in the future of having these big number of families that can't manage and keep their children because of these problems. We're trying to get ready for this. And it talks about, and he said, but the government must keep, you know, keep funding for social welfare services. So you've got two different things going on. You've got You've got people losing their jobs, people losing their currency, people losing their – basically their means to live, and so now they're they're lenient on the government. And TJ, what do you think that that's going to create when you have a government that's got to support more and more of the population? What does that typically lead to and from your perspective? And then let's talk about our um, – are issues that we've had, you know, both here and abroad with with banks getting caught doing a whole bunch of criminal acts that we need to bring to the forefront so that people understand that sometimes these these big mega banks are not really looking out for you, they're just looking out for bottom line profits. 
So what do you think is going to come from this from this Greek debt crisis? And, and do you think that Greece is going to be able to recover? And, and what is it going to do? Is it setting the stage for something even bigger than that? The only way that Greece will be able to recover is if, of course, they are actually, um, I mean, given money, I mean, bailed out. The question is who will bail them out, which will most likely be the global elite who would yeah. then actually own them. Because whoever owns the debt actually owns um, the person. So, um, and then, of course, as we see as other currencies start spelling, you're going to start seeing them bailing out more and that the people will actually be essentially cut off from the government. And then, of course, they would have to establish a one-world currency and so forth. Right, and so you know that's the plan. As TJ and I talk about, is that they they create. It's almost like it's almost like they create artificial scarcity. It's like they pump up these, they pump up these little derivatives and they pump these other things up so that they can they can have something like this that'll that'll be a, a catastrophe, and then they'll come in and pose as the saviors. You know, problem, reaction, solution kind of deal. And you're right, TJ. If they if they get the euro so unstable that – and then they get the U.S. currency unstable, so everybody calls for we need to fix it, we need to fix it. And, of course, what are the bankers going to say? Well, if if you just let us control everything, then there will be no currency wars, so then everything will work itself out. Is that pretty much what what you think, TJ, is that, that the bankers will come in, pose as the saviors, and say, hey, we'll just create one world bank. There will be no trading, and everything will be paid to that, right? And, and yeah. that what you I mean, it's just absolutely bonkers. So I want to talk about this. TJ, you and I have talked about this before, but I need to bring it up on the show again because you guys need to understand what we're facing. And um, and then I'm going to get into a couple of the different issues that to, to finish the show that, that we really need to address as a society. But the article is from The Guardian, and it says, How a Big U.S. Bank Laundered Billions from Mexico's Murderous Drug Gangs. And it goes on to talk about how Wachovia and Wells Fargo laundered $370 billion worth of drug money, and they got caught, and they had to pay um, – it was – I think it was up to 2%, TJ. They had to pay a 2% fine for getting caught laundering $370 billion uh, of drug money, and this kind of piggybacks on top of what, what's going on with the Fast and Furious thing. So break that down for us quickly. And then we'll we'll get into the the last section of the show where we wanted to talk about some other some other banking issues. Wait, say that one more time. Okay, so the the banks laundering, you know, coming out last year talking about how Wells Fargo, Wachovia laundered the drug money from Mexico's drug cartels and how that mm-hmm. kind of intertwines with the Fast and Furious scandal, shipping the drugs down to Mexico or shipping the guns down to Mexico, and and quote unquote tracking them and then. And then bring it all to a head and kind of how it all intertwines with one another and how you see almost a form of eco-fascism here with the United States where they have um, large mega banks funding drug cartels, laundering drug money, and then tying that into the U.S. government shipping guns down to Mexico in order to, to further the drug war so that so that they have something to – Meanwhile, leaving the border wide open, mind you, but they have something to fight. Remember, we always have to fight a war, TJ, so we're still on the war on drugs, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, it, 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 no matter what you actually do, it all goes back to that iron triangle. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I don't care, like, what anything that you actually see inside the world today actually goes back to the iron triangle. You know, everything cause and effect, you know, uh, the CIA actually brings the drugs in. Okay, well, the CIA also sends the guns down fast and furious to the drug cartels. Okay, well, what's going on behind the scenes? Well, you have these people, part of the Iron Triangle. You have, like I said, Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission. You have um, your lobbyists. You have your politicians all working during their part of the plan to make sure everything goes according to plan, that you never really hear about it. And everything just connects into it, you know. Um, one of the reasons why we, one of the reasons why we went to Afghanistan was because of opium, the largest opium supplier inside the world. Okay, we got there, got our soldiers selling the opium. Okay, so we secured another drug trade. Oh, not even securing <laughs> the opium. Remember, we increased the opium production in Afghanistan by something ridiculous, and now it's like, 
over 90% of the world's opium is in Afghanistan. And then you guys can YouTube this, and TJ didn't mean to cut you off, but we're, we're getting into the real reasons here. Go look up Geraldo Rivera interviews. Um, I, I think it was a um, – it was just – I guess it was an army soldier about protecting the opium. Remember, we got to protect the opium from al-Qaeda, but meanwhile, we we partner with al-Qaeda in Syria in order to, to topple Assad, right? So get into that as far as stabilizing the U.S. troops there, growing the opium, sending them over on C-130s, much like Iran-Contra, you know, just exactly what we got caught doing before. So so get into that really quick. You know, any time when you actually um... – Going to a guy. It's like, okay, how can I break this down? Um, <laughs> it sounds so crazy, guys. But it, this, it really is all, this is all documented stuff. This is not conspiracy theory. These are all documented events that have happened. And it's just taking the data points and tying them together and seeing, and then just looking and going, wait a minute, what's really going on here? Because let's face it, the majority of us, myself included, I was living in 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 a in a daze for you know thirty years of my life, and then started paying attention to what was going on, and now it's starting to become more and more evident that we're in a, a not only dysfunctional society, but you probably have little factions within the government that are that you have people that are really really good trying to bring back you know real values, trying to bring back you know real governing bodies, you know fighting the NDAA and stuff like that. But then you have another faction, which they all have—they all have a hand in the pot. They all have something to gain, whether it's one of their private corporations, whether they have a deal with an army subcontractor, stuff like that. So, TJ, take it from that perspective and just talk about how there there could be corruption at the top, at the highest levels, because of the monies involved. I mean, well, you know, anytime we get into um, high level. Of anything, I'm talking about. It doesn't even have to be government. It can be even just corporations, or you can even be at schools. Because like now, you see that a lot of a lot of your um, principals and people even inside school have actually been caught, you know, cheating on uh, tests. For, for example, and, Atlanta. Break down yeah. what happened here in Atlanta, and 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 how about how it was all about funding. Well, you know, there were there were several scandals that actually went down with um, a lot of your um, the staff at the school. In particular, like some of your principals, some of your sister principals, what they did after the after the students actually took their standardized test, they actually went in and they actually changed the answers. To and they were encouraged the to test. do this. They yeah. Were, yeah. So. And the whole reason why was because well, we need to get more funding for the school. You see, when when it comes down to money, people will do anything, and. That's one of the things that, you know, evil is found in high places. You know, even the Bible says that, and it's true. If you want to find the most corrupted people, you have to look into high places. I'm talking about corporations. Yeah, I'm talking about Washington, D.C. I tell people, if the, see, people get arrested. You know, everyday civilians get arrested for, like, okay, like drugs, you know, having small answers and stuff like that. But if you really want to look for the high crime, uh, if you want to look for the big boys that deal stuff that don't get caught – Look up there to Washington D.C. Look yeah. up there in corporations because these are the people that actually move. Look at I'm, millions. Of, I mean, come on, man. It, look at the big. Look at the big banks laundering drug money. Look yeah. at. And here's another article that I wanted to touch on here where Bank of America, TJ, you remember what I told you about this? You couldn't believe it until I actually sent you the article with the with the link to the video and the and the headline reads, and this is a guy from Riverdale, Georgia, so big ups to the guy from Riverdale for doing this. Um, Bank of America in Florida forecloses on an angry homeowner. And and that doesn't even do justice to what the article is actually about. It talks about how in 2009 this gentleman had a had a house down in Naples that he paid cash for. So nobody owns the deed. He owns the house outright. And then Bank of America comes in and forecloses on it and says, "Nope. We own this house. You haven't paid your mortgage." I mean, literally stuff like that. And this stuff happens every day, and then you have, you know, the bureaucrats that go, "Well, I mean, maybe he did owe him some money." Instead of instead of taking a look at what really went on, it's it's an absolute and it and it says that all it would have taken was about 15 minutes for somebody to review it. You review the records of the property and it would have been it would have been just fine, but instead, you know, you just got to go on, "Well, you know, you haven't made any payments, so we're going to foreclose." Oh, by the way, I bought the house outright five years ago. So 
TJ, in closing, let's you know, let's talk about quickly. You guys help us out with the name for the show for Wednesday. Um, hit us up on Twitter. It's uh, we are not cattle one at twitter.com with some show names you guys got for us. Follow us on there. TJ, wrap it up for the last couple minutes or a couple seconds. Give us your final thoughts and and succinctly tell us. You know where people should start looking, and then why this stuff is becoming more and more rampant now. Is it just because the banks think that they're going to run out of time, and so they're just grabbing at everything that they can in order to make as much money as they can before we have a quote unquote collapse? Um, yeah, you know that the whole entire thing with the banks is that you know that they actually do want to create more massive debt before the economic collapse actually happens. But you know a good place for people to actually find out information is um above top dot com infowars.com um the trans forecaster mm-hmm. and of course webster topperly um dot mm-hmm. net is a, a good places to find information yep. Paul Craig Roberts dot org, you know, people that are off the mainstream media that'll really give you really give you the, the true story. And these people are not just, you know, oh well, it's just some kook with a blog. No, like I said before, Paul Craig Roberts was the head of policy under Ronald Reagan. He's the father of Reaganomics. The guy knows about economics, he understands it. And just because he's not on Fox News or CNN wearing a nice little suit with a blue tie, you know, going along with the establishment line saying that there's really nothing to worry about. Just because he's not one of those people doesn't mean that he's not a trusted, reliable source. If anything, that the people that are you see on the Fox News that are provocateuring all this stuff, saying that you know that we're we're not as much trouble or all of this other garbage. They're not really giving you the whole story because, TJ, do you think it's because that the establishment believes that if the American public really knew what was going on that they would freak out and go anti-establishment? Or what do you think is really behind the scenes? Why do you think that they really don't expose this stuff? Or is it that they think that the public is so dumb that they can't comprehend this stuff anyway, so we're just going to tell you what you need to know and go along with your day-to-day and don't upset the apple cart? Which one of those do you think it is? They are – afraid of people waking up. Even Lindsay Williams said that, that you know that they understand that, hey, if enough people wake up, they <laughs> is going to just get mad. There's a possibility that these global elite themselves could actually, I mean, face, you know, prison time, you know. If everybody knew that what they was doing, I believe that you would probably actually would have not only a million man march, but like a 10 million man march. I mean, it would just be completely war against these people and that they would actually be brought to justice. Well, and that's the reason that you and I, you know, got together. And when we when we first started emailing back and forth, you were not only were not only were you very succinct about what you understood, but the fact that you bring a younger perspective into it, and you can also, you know, try to get the the young people to pay attention because, like you and I talk about, the the young people are our future. You know, people like myself, we can go out there and make waves because we're, you know, I'm in my 30s. I you know, I've got a job. I can go out there, and and I have the the financial means to get out and make something happen. But then again, you have to get you have to get the younger generation involved because those are the people that can galvanize not only their parents but galvanize their their own you know their friends their you know their little inner social circle. And that's where the big change will come is if you get a resurgence, much like why the establishment fears Ron Paul is because he's got this huge following. For, from a younger generation that understands that, hey, once you start sacrificing your your freedom for security, you're going to get neither. Right, TJ? Mm, exactly. You know, like I said, that the young people that we are actually the future, and if you actually don't have us, you know, that you, you have a problem. And even Hitler knew that. Even Hitler. That's why Hitler always, you know, stressed about the youth, the youth. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> because if yes, you can knew. brainwash that portion of it and you can get them to go along with whatever the establishment line is and from from his perspective it was the you know the the white anglo race being the aryan race being superior you know to everybody else but that wasn't really it it was it was almost like a um it was almost like a ethnic ethnic cleanse for everybody else that um that he was targeting everybody that wasn't you know following in line with the Reich so if you can get them on board, like you said, if you can get the children on board, then basically everything will kind of feed off itself. And that's why you're running into all these challenges is because now 
not only are our children not being engaged, but you have people that are my age and older that are not engaged themselves so that they don't bring their children up with, number one, with good values, number two, with a sense of consciousness, number three, with a sense of history so that they can understand what to look out for because people my age don't even know, TJ. They don't even know what to look out for. It's like, oh, there's a bunch of drones flying around. That seems fair. That seems okay, mm-hmm. you know? And so you get into this this whole society of, of acceptance where you just accept incrementalism, and that's what we talk about all the time. You accept incrementalism, and then if you have one generation that accepts it, and then it keeps going on and on, and after two or three generations, guess what? You're going to be just like the four, just like our founding father said. You're going to wake up enslaved on on a nation that your father, your forefathers conquered, and that's exactly where we're headed. TJ, any closing thoughts? We kind of ran over today, but we really did need to cover everything in order for people to have the information and and be able to disseminate this out to everybody. So, what are your closing thoughts for the show? And then um, and then pitch to the people our idea for for the Wednesday night show, and and then we'll kind of wrap it up from there. I mean, closing thoughts is that, you know, that, of course, the world is a much more involved and darker place than you actually know, you know, and for people who may not be awake, that scratching the surface is one thing, actually journeying into the real world is a whole other thing. So when you actually do research and you actually see what is going on, you know, take your time because there's a lot of things you won't understand right away but as time goes on you will mm-hmm. as far as going for the show that of course we have a new show that is for the intermediate and advanced the people who actually already know or for the beginners who want to just take a even deeper dive down mm-hmm. the rabbit hole mm-hmm. we are actually looking for um, a new show name so if you have a good show name that you actually think could actually be for this new in-depth show that would cover the hardcore information, you know, um, post it on the Twitter, post it on the Facebook, and let us know. Yeah, absolutely. So we don't do a really good job plugging that stuff. We do it. I do a terrible job giving the phone number out because when we look at the information, when we get on, when we're about to get on air, it doesn't look like a bunch until we start really breaking it down. And then, oh my gosh, we're overwhelmed and we don't really have time to take calls. But we're going to make a, a concerted effort to start taking more calls, getting getting your reactions. We we do a great job with the with the online dialogue back and forth with the um, with people that want to chat with us in the chat window. But once again, as TJ said, follow us on Twitter. We are not cattle one at twitter dot com. You know, hit us up on Facebook. We are not cattle, or you can go to the we are not cattle dot net site and like us on Facebook from there. But in essence, we need to get everybody involved, and we've done a great job of growing the radio show from from something very small to growing almost double every month. So the hunger for freedom, the hunger for the information, it's out there. Get this out to your friends. Let's get involved. Let's get engaged with one another. Find out what I know. Find out what TJ knows. Let's hear about what you know, and then we'll all grow together. We'll all understand this entire system together. And then we can find ways where it's where it's fractured or where we can make improvements, and then we we create a consorted effort to come together and try to fix that specific problem rather than just go at it. Uh, um, unfortunately, like Alex Jones does, as a shotgun approach, and then tells you to go figure out which faction you want to be a part of. TJ and I want to not only inform you, but we also want to give you guidance as far as what you can do to get involved, what you can do to help wake people up and get people aware of what's going on in our society so that nobody's going to be shocked or surprised or anything like that if something does come down the line that might be a little bit off a kilter because the last thing you want to be is we want to be caught on your heels if we have another recession or something like that. You don't want to be caught on your heels saying, gosh, I wish I would have known about this stuff. Well, we're giving you the information. What you do with it, who you get it out to is up to you. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in this morning. Thanks for all the downloads. We appreciate your support. Look for the new show in a couple of weeks, Wednesday night, 30 minutes, hard-hitting, deep dive, as TJ said. Hit us up on Twitter. Once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, everybody. Thanks for listening, and let's save the republic.